0: and welcome back to another episode of the year polygamy podcast i'm your host Lindsay, and it's good to be back it's been a crazy summer i just spent a month living down in short creek quarantining down there and having just wild adventures and now i am back Uh, Back in Salt Lake because uh, coronavirus is getting really bad and we're quarantining at home. So, hello to all of you out there who are quarantining. Hello to all of you out there who don't think you should be quarantining. Please, please get inside because I care about you. So, it's good to be back and I'm really, really excited for this interview today because it's, I think, going to be an important one. One of the focuses that I'm going to be doing on the podcast this year, and as we go forward in the episodes, is to work on helping give the community that I have curated through this podcast resources to deal with the information that we learn from Year of Polygamy. And what I mean by that is when we started Year of Polygamy, the journey together, the podcast, it uh, was kind of a crazy, hard podcast. I mean, it's a hard thing to be told that people turn off, they have to turn off your podcast. It's just, it's hard. It's hard to sort of bring that kind of pain and wound and open it up. I I know I didn't cause it, but I certainly shone a light on it. And so as part of my accountability to that, I want to make sure that I'm giving us new ways to think about things afterwards, resources to help people, resources to help understand this whole polygamy thing, why why it happened to Mormonism, the impacts of it, uh, how it affects us, generational trauma, and things like that. And so that's really become a goal of mine. And um, this year, I hope we'll move towards that. I, I've moved towards that in practice. Put my money where my mouth is. I helped pass a decriminalization uh, of polygamy bill this year, and that was very challenging to me on very uh, personal and professional and spiritual levels. So I I want us to work through some of the issues that we talk about. The podcast is hard and it's violent and painful. And I can't just leave it there. So we're going to talk about some of those things. And so today is an effort to do that. I've been trying to line up this podcast for a long time. And the guest that I'm bringing on has been very thoughtful and, you know, just taking time to decide when the right time to tell the story is. And I'm going to introduce him in just a minute. But this kind of ties into my uh, one of my latest episodes, the Julie Rowe interview. I interviewed a Mormon woman who they call a prophetess. She has a following of people who believe that she has visions of the future and that she speaks directly to God. And I interviewed her for a two-part series. And oh my goodness, it was so interesting to see all the feedback that I got. Uh, I wanted to answer a few questions about that, and I'll do that with my guest as well. But it was through that that episode, and we can maybe talk about Julie at the end of the podcast. That uh, my guest was like, you know what? Maybe this is time to start having these conversations. So that is a really long preamble, but I want to talk about more about Julie Rowe at the end of the podcast. But first, I would like to introduce my guest, Aaron Sullivan. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> okay, Aaron Sullivan. Um. How did we meet? We met a couple of years ago.
1: Yeah, we we met at breakfast at the Market Street Grill in downtown Salt Lake
0: through with our a friend, Alan. friend. Yeah. Alan. yeah. Hi, shout out to Alan. Alan, thank you for helping uh, know that we needed to to meet. I had a friend, Alan Cook. Alan Cook was like, "You've got to meet this guy, Aaron. He has some really interesting things to say." And I met Aaron. Wasn't sure what to expect. I actually didn't. Alan had told me nothing about your story. But as we sat there through that breakfast, I my jaw just kept dropping. It was probably one of the most interesting conversations I had ever had. And uh, your story is so interesting and fascinating. And I want to talk about why. But I also want to acknowledge that this is a very deeply personal thing to you, right? Yes. So do you want to use this time to talk about some of your fine print, like what sure. telling your story means?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um. I, I think more people have this experience than what most of us realize, at least aspects of it. More people go through some of the psychological phenomena we're going to talk about than what most of us acknowledge. And I believe it's a very stigmatized and charged and kind of scary topic. I have thought for years that one of the best things we can do to help deal with problems like that is just to normalize them and bring them out into the light. And all of us have something that, you know, we've had an experience with in the world that maybe allows us to contribute something a little bit unique back to the people around us. And that's basically what I want to do here. I, I, I wish I had had somebody to talk to who had been through an experience like this for myself um, when I was younger, when I was going through it. And uh, I, I haven't hesitated to talk to people one-on-one about things like this in the past, but I, I have thought long and hard about whether or not I should ever just put it out there for wider consumption. It, it, it gets easier the more years go by, but it's still uh, a challenging personal subject to talk about. And I don't expect that most people listening to it are going to feel very comfortable listening to it, even if they're interested like what you said when we met at the restaurant, I've had a number of experiences in my life where I have been at a restaurant with one or more people telling this story, and I realize in the middle of the conversation that all the tables around me have gone quiet. <laughs>
0: <and> <laughs> yeah, we just do. We're
1: listening do. to this. It's like
0: a guy that was like talking to us <laughs> from the table next. to – Well, that's this. This is why I want my audience to be very thoughtful here because this is a deeply personal thing and it's not something people talk about I actually think I hate it when people tell me like oh you're so brave uh, to talk about your eating disorder publicly or something as if I should be ashamed of it I don't I don't like that but I do think it takes courage to try to see An experience and try to change uh, your pain into someone else's healing, right? And so I think that that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to try to be careful and acknowledge that we are going to be exploring questions we don't necessarily have answers to. What we're hoping is that this, like I talked about in my little rant earlier about what I want to do with this podcast this year, this, I think, has some tools and information that could help our community if we pay attention to them. So uh, I'll, I'll just give you a brief synopsis of Aaron, and then I'm going to let him explain his story. But this is how I introduce Aaron to people. <laughs> I say, "You've got to meet this guy. He graduated high school at 16, was it? And then 17. Yeah, and then he went to BYU at 17, and he now is a very successful genius. Where writing, um, you write the computer for Facebook."
1: Uh, Computer engineering work for Facebook.
0: Yeah, so he uh, does a lot of things that are way above my skill set and pay grade. And um, so that alone is interesting because Aaron also had an experience where he was seeing visions and hearing voices. And a lot of people don't put successful people in that category, right? The, The feedback that I got with the Julie Rowe interview, and that's why this sort of started this was she's crazy. She's, we can't take her seriously. She's, you know, bananas, but that's not your experience with her at all. You were like, Oh, that's so interesting. I remember feeling similar things. Mm -hmm. So, so Aaron's experience, I think like Aaron just said, he thinks it happens to more people and we're going to get into it. But I also think that there's this element that Mormons become obsessed with, which is what do you think was really going on with Joseph Smith? Was he really seeing things or was he hearing things? And I've seen in Mormon studies, all kinds of explanations, the entheogenic theory of Mormonism, right? Which is really compelling and fun that Joseph Smith was, uh, you know, activating psilocybin and uh, psychedelic plants in the area and spiking the sacramental wine and people were having ecstatic visions. That's, that's one thing. Or there's this idea that, you know, there's a whole scholarly uh, study on Joseph Smith's pain and trauma from his leg surgery that might have rewired his brain to Visions. But today I think we're going to provide yet yeah, another theory into that mix. So, Aaron, why don't we start talking about your experience? Do you want to say anything on anything I've said yet before we get into your life? Uh,
1: yeah, sure. I, I think one nice tidy way to to put, you know, a, another version of this together. And, and I hear this from people who study who study the properties of hallucinogenic drugs and so forth, they will say that many of these compounds exist inside your body. They're just in lower quantities. And so you literally can kind of get high on your body's own supply in this regard. And that can take you places that most of us don't experience very much of most of the time. But as, as we go into it, that's kind of how I think about my own experience here. And I think this can catch you by surprise. I, I think most people talk about religious experience like it catches them by surprise. And certainly when we get into it, it caught me by surprise.
0: Okay, so I want to ask about your childhood, and I also want to throw this out there that I think another fascinating thing about your story is Joseph Smith has become. I don't know if it's a Rorschach if that's the right if that's the right phrase a Rorschach to our own experiences. I try to tend to explain Joseph Smith's belief based on my limited experiences, right? And other people do this. But it wasn't until I heard your story, and you told me that you thought maybe Joseph Smith had similar, it's possible he had similar experiences. My knee jerk was to be like, no, 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 he was making it up. But I've met enough prophets now. I've met enough sincere people, sincere believers. I've read enough pioneer journals. I don't think if faith were so easily dismissed or explained away, then it would be but there's something else about it. So Aaron, why don't we talk about your upbringing? Just give us, uh, tell us about your background a little bit.
1: Yeah, very quick synopsis. I was born in South Weber, Utah. My mother has pioneer stock going back on one side of her family. And my father was a convert that she met and married as he converted. And I grew up in Utah for about 10 years. Uh, I would say just a pretty average suburban Mormon Utah childhood in the 1980s. There were fun things like little snippets of the Satanic Panic and cable coming in and MTV and, you know, uh, communism and the end of the world and the chosen generation and all the rest of that stuff that a lot of Mormon kids experience. So, like,
0: what year did you graduate high school?
1: I graduated high school in
0: 1996. So, in the 90s and you're a young, young kid uh, did you rebel? Did you listen to like worldly music, anything like that? Yeah,
1: I would say as a general rule, as a little kid, I just went along in a active Mormon family because there was really no good choice other than to get along and, you know, follow the program. I, I would say, you know, we read scriptures every day. We did all the rest of that. But I would say by and large, other than some common superstitions that kids have growing up in environments like that, I didn't really get into the religious experience that much. We had a baptism party. I remember being excited about, you know, the celebration of that. I remember, you know, I remember liking my primary teachers, you know, being pretty attached to a few of them. I remember being bored as hell in sacrament meeting and in many ways very much the same. We left Utah when I was 10 years old and we moved uh, to a place in Southeast Wisconsin. And then I learned what it was like to be, uh, what I learned in Utah was, you know, being Mormon amongst many Mormons. I I only knew one family in our neighborhood that was not Mormon. (laughs) And everybody knew they weren't Mormon and they were kind of this fascinating, exotic thing. And then I, I moved to this other place and suddenly we were fairly alone and a little weird in this regard. And I, I uh, I think a lot of people will say they appreciate their religion more when they go to a place like that, the mission field, or you know whatever we call it. But for me, it was uh, just an adaptation of just being a weird person. You know, I went from being just average and normal to weird. I started, like many kids do, to buy into to buy into the the church and my belief system, coincident with becoming a teenager and going to youth conference and Efy and things like that you know, those really charged testimony meetings after you've been exhausted for a few days and, and, you know, other people are doing the same thing. And I and I can remember by the time I was getting ready to, you know, to, to go to university, you know, being fairly committed to the idea that this was probably right and I should do a mission and all the rest of that. But there were also plenty of ways I misbehaved. There was the usual just shenanigans and, you know, driving cars around too fast and staying up too late and, and doing stupid things with my friends. There was a little bit of girl trouble. I had to confess to my bishop right before I went to to BYU, just weeks before I left. Um, There was guilt and things like that that a lot of teenage boys feel around sexuality.
0: At some level, you were a believer, at least in the cultural narratives, Mm -hmm. spiritual narratives too, divine narratives.
1: Yeah, but sort of... I would say in most ways, not really thinking about it too deeply up until I left home. You know, thinking about it some and getting into it some. I went to seminary and that sort of thing. But I I often felt like most of the people around me that were more um, dedicated to it, (laughs) and maybe a little bit more righteous like maybe the difference between them and me was they had more self-control they were a little bit of like a control freak in that regard they were more um scrupulous in some sense than i was willing to be and then as as you know as i started to get into this point in time what you and i will talk about with this experience like my tendencies in that direction shot way up i would say The hardest thing I ever dealt with as a teenager was uh, knowing that I shouldn't be on my youth temple trip because I'd masturbated. (laughs) And sometimes the guilt on that was pretty intense. But I I think you have to believe a, a certain degree. You have to believe to a certain degree to be willing to subject yourself to that kind of internal pain or guilt or go confess. Or you're just not going to go bother to talk to your bishop about that.
0: Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. I mean, I'll talk to people who are like, I I never really bought into it. I was like, it's a different thing to know that Jesus Christ is a savior and to also believe that you're a sinner because you've touched, you know, you were necking and petting. That's right. Or something. That's right. So it does it, it affects you in different levels. But you still, good Mormon enough kid to go to BYU. Let's talk about mm-hmm. that. So, yeah. You're super young. Did, did you feel like you were a little bit better than people because you're young and you're smarter than a, a lot of your peers?
1: Of course. I was the youngest child. Um, I was born under some trauma for my mom and I very, very like sort of loved and um, coddled over as a little baby, probably too much in some cases for my taste. Somewhat spoiled, you know, materially and just with attention. And uh, I was the sort of kid that like a lot of I think a lot of youngest kids are that just I could just get along with everybody. I would I'd be friendly with everybody, I' would talk with anybody around me. and you know, I think like a lot of kids in that generation we we're, were the chosen generation, right? The world was oh, going to yeah. end in, you know, around the year 2000 or Generals
0: something Generals like in heaven, they will That's bow right. to us.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, in one sense, it's funny because we're all that way. And in another sense, well, I'm more, you know, I'm a higher ranked general than you or, you know, maybe.
0: Yeah. Right? Well, no. And we were talking about this before because he when – I, when I asked him this question, you can't see it. He kind of gets nervous because he – You're a nice guy and you're embarrassed about some of the stuff. And I was like, no, 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 no. Don't be embarrassed about the stuff. We all did that. We all were like, I'm the best. I'm chosen. I know so many. I mean, no offense to my Centennial Park friends, but they have a total reputation down in Centennial Park for this attitude. Like, Mm. we just know we're better than everyone. It's just the truth. Our church is the best. And we had that. But you also are a white male of intelligence who reads your scriptures and doctrine And you can be a god someday Mm -hmm. like that's heady, heady stuff.
1: That's right. And and even if you don't spend a lot of time thinking about it, just to believe something that extreme and call it the ground truth about the universe and and having left Utah, walking around with people where the weirdness is enhanced because, you know, you're different and you know you're special and you know you're going to somehow participate in saving the world around them and you know you get this narrative that all the ways these other people around you live are somehow sad or tragic and i i can remember thinking you know any of my friends and neighbors in southeast wisconsin that had a beer on a you know on a on a friday afternoon or a saturday and then You know, maybe they maybe they yelled at their wife or kids a little bit or something like, oh, that's so sad. You know, (laughs) they must be alcoholic, you know, (laughs) just just all these really strange knee jerk judgments about the people around me. And and, like I had this one buddy my last year of high school that I didn't know he was gay and I should have known. But it took me months and months to realize that he was gay. And not only was he gay, but he was kind of persecuted by a lot of the kids in school around him. And so he asked if he could share a locker with me. And late in our high school time together, we were both doing, just the only one I ever did, but we were both doing a stage production. It was an Abbott and Costello thing. And he's over at my house, and we're practicing our lines, and we get done, and we're just kind of just sitting around on my porch talking. And he comes out and tells me the story about he's gay and how hard it is. And you know, he grew up in a Catholic household, very conservative one, and he was dealing with a lot of rejection and a lot of pain.
0: Oh gosh, I'm like, no! Don't tell the Mormon kid. Don't tell your Mormon friend.
1: <sighs> yeah, and you know, I just had accepted him, and I was, I was kind, and you know, oh. all the rest of that. We'd never talked about religion, you know, and and I, as I said earlier, I tended to get along with everybody. I, I, I don't. Okay, I judge people. I, I told you I judge people earlier, but when it's this personal, friendly thing, I'm, I'm the sort of person that just. Everything is pretty much no judgment.
0: Oh, I did not see that coming. I thought you were going to act like I did and so many other people. Like, well,
1: well I are did. you sure? I did. I did. In this particular case, when he came out, I thought, I can help you. And then I proceeded to basically testify to him that if he joined my religion and read my book and all the rest of that, or my religion's book, I should say, that God could heal him. And I can remember in the midst of this discussion, he rolled in there with me, but the expression on his face was just awkward and a little painful. And like, Aaron, this is not what I was expecting. And,
0: or needed. And or this wanted. hurts.
1: And I don't know what to make of, you know, all this time we've oh. known each other. Suddenly, you know, I've exposed myself to you and like you're you're trying to be an asshole in the kindest way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, that's that's a good way to say uh, Mormon intentions. That's right. (laughs) right. I mean, I'm sorry, Mormon friends that that are still in these patterns. We don't need to change everyone around us to our way of thinking like that is such a radical idea to us and probably to all people. But yet here I am with the podcast. Right. So I think we all I think we all have this Mormon it's not a Mormon, a human need, but it comes out in a Mormon way, and Mormonism isn't always kind, especially to marginalized groups. So,
1: well, anytime heaven is on the line, the ends start to justify the means. Anytime heaven or hell is on the line, the you know the moral logic just changes.
0: Well, let's talk about that because you changed from being a fish out of water, going back to BYU. So, well, back to Utah. What was that like for you? All of a sudden, being in a very Mormon-dominated space.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I rebelled in my own way as a teenager and I didn't really want to go to BYU to start with. I, I had some other opportunities to go to other schools or do other things, but I was 17. I was still dependent on my parents. I had a scholarship and, you know, the agreement my parents sort of offered to me was, if you will do this for a year, you know, we will support you in other things later. Just try BYU for a year. And there was a lot of pressure. They were extremely concerned, especially my mother, I think, that if I went to any other school, I would leave the church. And, you know, that, that my oldest brother, had, they'd had troubles with him in this regard. And I had another brother who I think for a long time they thought he was marginal. And it was just so important to them that we all stay in. I'd been coming back to Utah to visit most years, twice a year after we left. So in some sense, I could remember Utah. In another sense, I get to BYU— and i'm surrounded by all of these people and i like i've i never liked piety by and large i couldn't stand piety i especially couldn't stand piety that was used to justify trying to manipulate other people's behavior
0: the, let's let's call ourselves on this cuz i'm the same way i didn't like the piety except for my own <laughs> right? yeah, yeah, like, yeah 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 but mine's fine
1: yeah yeah and and i think i think back then you know honestly even now i'm having a bit of a gut reaction but i only did it in these little spots right like I I was selective about why I enforced my piety when I thought it really counted. You know, that's what I would say. No, the thing that's not fair is okay, so what? You know, that's what everybody would say they do. That's what
0: we all say. (laughs) I'm doing it just, I'm just doing it smarter than you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, it's. I I think that's hard. I think it's hard and challenging when you have when you have gifts like I mean, I experienced this, I was like, voted best artist in my school. And so, of course, I feel like a god because of that doesn't mean I'm best artist because I won some arbitrary thing. But I remember walking around being like, Oh, it's so sad. You guys just don't even know how it how great it is to be great. (laughs) (laughs) I never did anything with my art, by the way. There there are talented artists that I went to high school with, and I never did anything. So, yeah. So, you're there. You have a little bit of a superiority complex already, you know. I do. I, I do. Uh,
1: like a disdain for that, you know, pious nature or trying to get people to approve of you because you're righteous. We're trying to put pressure on people to behave a certain way because – you know, I was just not into that whole I'm my brother's keeper thing in that regard. But well, it you know, sounds
0: like the difference between you, your piety, like we talked about, is you resented. And this will come out later, too, yeah. in our conversation. You really you resented the fakeness, the falseness that's of right. it. You were like, if we're going to believe in it, let's just, you know, testify to our gay friend what we think. That's, that's right. Yeah,
1: that's right. And 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 try and be cool about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I I got to BYU and and. Certainly, I lived on campus the first six or seven months I was there. And um, no, actually, it was about a year now that I think about it. But I I basically got there looking around at some people around me and immediately started labeling like, OK, who's cool and who's so pious that I can't stand to be around them? You know, who, who can I listen to my music with that's probably not approved? And who can I have a sense of humor with that's probably not approved? And... You know which 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 girls can I hang out with because they're not so so just sort of stitched up you know and so anxious about their sexuality that like we can't even have a sense of humor or anything like that and that was how I filtered the world of the people around me when I first got there. Um, I I brought the edgy music. I wasn't afraid to do it. I I was judgy with people who were trying to be too pious, in my opinion, but. A few months after I got there, I started into my second uh, – my, my first full semester there and uh, my second term. And I took this course on philosophical writing um, that was you know, probably way too far over my head. I just jumped in. Like uh, It was an honors course. It was like a 300-level course and I fancied myself like a good thinker in this regard, even though I hadn't read that much. And – I suddenly took this really deep interest in existentialism and I'm, I'm reading.
0: It's very 1990s college of you. you.
1: What's funny is I should have known, but I didn't. I thought there was something unique about me in this regard. I thought only philosophy nerds read existentialism in some sense. Uh, So I'm, I'm reading a lot of Nietzsche and I am reading my favorite, a ton of Soren Kierkegaard because, you know, people equate Nietzsche with, uh, you know, there is no God. But Soren Kierkegaard totally embraced the idea of a god, even a Christian god in some sense. And like, okay, that just made sense to me. Like it was was doing existentialism hard and it was doing it in a Christian way and therefore I could adapt it to a Mormon way. And, you know, I really appreciated how deeply they thought about these things and how much they thought these things really mattered. And then I looked around me and I thought I'm surrounded by all these shallow conformists. I'm I'm surrounded you know whether they're honor students or or you know you know whether they're art students or philosophy students or music students or religion students like most of these people don't think too deeply and they don't think too hard that they're thinking about how to get through their courses and how to get by and how to please the people around them in the mormon ways and I just hated that and so
0: Uh, And we talked about this earlier because I I was at Utah State and I had a similar superiority complex a little bit. You know, I was fancied myself smart because, you know, I'm in my first physics class learning about the universe. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this makes total sense with Mormonism. Why doesn't everyone get this? I'm going to go read. I was reading Nietzsche, too, to prove him wrong. And then I realized, like... I couldn't prove him wrong because there was nothing to prove wrong. Anyway, doesn't matter. But I was the same way and I was lonesome for friends because no one would engage me on the stuff that was around me. And and what I said to you earlier and before we were recording is here we were at college having our minds open to these new things that were exciting to us. And yet we would go to church and it was the old, boring, traditional way. And at least for me, it came out in judgment. I was like, why can't we be smarter? Where's our Kierkegaard? You know, where's our Mormon good high art? You know, I had, I was in the art program there on an art scholarship and there was a painter who his dad was a famous painter in Mormonism. And High art and Mormonism meant that you knew how to paint pioneers or Jesus well. That's what it meant. That's right. And that was frustrating. That's right.
1: And you go to church and you're like, what's up with this Sunday school manual? I have been looking at this forever. I've been to seminary. I I can go to religious instruction classes and get a little deeper. Uh, in, In my philosophy class, my major project was to write a paper tapping existentialism, trying on philosophical grounds to basically say Mormonism is bunk. And I talked to my professor about this. I thought that was a bold thing to do at BYU, uh, to write a paper, basically, in some sense, trying to disprove some critical ideas in Mormonism. Uh, But I also said to myself, well, I'm going to fail at some point, and that'll help increase my faith. And you you ought to be willing to push that hard. You know, if you're a deep thinker and you really want to believe, you ought to be willing to push that hard into it. So as i was as i was writing this paper and collecting material i i i broke into this internet service on campus that uh students were using to post their content if if you if you weren't on the internet in the 19 late 1980s and, and uh 1990s you wouldn't know what usenet is but you know, it's 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 like a predecessor to like reddit or something like that <laughs> You know, there, there would be these topics and people could just go post. And I broke in It was like did,
0: a message board basically for the college. Yeah,
1: it was like a message board for not just for the college, uh, like at, at large where like everybody's looking at one thing. But like with these detailed lists, just like, you know, just like you can go subreddit, 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 things like that. Uh, you know, you could just get buried in this. And uh, some of the schools there at BYU, in this case, it was an English and literature school, the the honors class. They had their own sort of sub page. So I broke into this and set myself up so that it was very difficult to trace where these posts were coming from. And then I started posting content calling out the students in this school and the students in this class as they were just posting assignments and other papers they write to make it easier for people to read and critique and their professors to look over. I was sort of posting these rogue 15, 20, 30 page screeds. saying, you guys don't really know what you believe, and you haven't really thought about it that deeply. Did you
0: call people out by name or just cultural aspects that you were frustrated with?
1: No, I I sort of called out the groups, the school, like, you guys are honor students here. BYU tells you you are the most sort of elect of the elect here, right? You're, You're supposed to gather all this education and go forth and kind of conquer the world, and you guys are just a bunch of shallow losers who don't think about this stuff.
0: I'm sure that was very persuasive. How did that work?
1: You know, uh, so I'll try and make this quick. Um, I did this for months, and uh, it created a stir. Uh, this was not long after the whole academic freedom fallout. Um, a little while later, I ended up as an editor at the Student Review and got an even closer look at, you know, a liberal Mormon's perspective on academic freedom at BYU. But, but. Uh, that's off to the side for just a, a bit later.
0: I wouldn't say this was a liberal. This was more a Pharisees type, like your yeah. wheat and chaff sort of situation. Well, and
1: and intellectualizing a lot, right? Like I, I was not afraid to challenge ideas in modern Mormonism that I thought were, you know, maybe silly or poor fitting or that maybe we should just discard. Um, especially about the idea of appearances and conformity.
0: <laughs> OK, so maybe I misunderstood because when I when I first heard you tell the story, were you judging BYU for not being righteous enough to the church or just not being or were you were you giving like social critiques on what you thought were oppressive practices?
1: To me, they were very much one and the same. Like if you were really serious about your religion, you would not focus all your energy on these shallow social practices. I see.
0: So it's like faith based. So at this point, you're still like you're seeing some problems on campus and you're reconciling that with. Well, they just don't understand their own doctrine.
1: That's right. They don't think deeply enough about it. And if they really cared, they'd stop worrying about how they were dressing. You know, it's kind of a little bit like uh, what Hugh Nibley was known for, I guess, like when he would complain about. How our priorities here are all screwed up. I'm yeah. by no means trying to equate myself there, but for those that know Hugh Nibley, I think that's that's you know that's a bit of a theme on the rogue side of him at BYU. So I'm posting these things, uh, and I'm getting quite a response from many students. Some of them are writing back, interesting, you know, sort of critiques of what I've written. Some of them are writing their own reflections on what they're reading. I've got professors writing back saying, this is awesome. Go. I love this. Like, this is what university experience is for. And then I have this whole other crowd that is like, I'm really uncomfortable. I'm upset that you wrote this. I don't know if you should be here. Uh, I don't want you at this school. This is challenging my testimony. And I had professors kind of saying the same thing.
0: How How did you feel when you got that sort of critique?
1: I was a jerk about it, um, like you
0: were emboldened by it.
1: I was like, If that's how you feel, it's because you're weak. you know <laughs> you' you know, you're you're weak in your analysis or your faith.
0: You had such confidence in yeah. your belief system
1: well, and I, and I thought this i I had accepted the idea that this must be true, this must be so, and we were just screwing it up. You know, we as a people were kind of screwing it up, so I didn't worry that I was going to find that it was, you know, disprovable in some sense in my philosophical sense. You know, I, I was it was very much like that. You
0: knew The premise was it had to be true. And so the problems and the gaps weren't making sense. So there had to be a reason for it. And you thought you were identifying those reasons. Yeah.
1: And probably a lot of those gaps, if they were just irreconcilable, they deserve to be thrown out. You know, they, yeah. they 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 deserve to be reconsidered and everything would be fine in the end. We'd be better for it. And that you, is
0: very Hugh Nibley and B. Roberts of you.
1: That's right. And if you can't take it, you know, like grow up, you know, uh, get, get stronger. It turns out that my girlfriend at the time, she knew I was doing this. Uh, sometimes in the evening I would tell her I've got to leave the apartment and go get jump on a payphone because students would want to call me. <laughs> and I didn't want to be traced. So I would just find payphones around campus and, you know, and take a number and call. And she told a friend of hers that uh, or a classmate of hers that, yeah, this person that's doing this, this is, my, this is my friend, my boyfriend. And somehow it got out from there. And I got a call from the dean of the school uh, one morning saying, you need to take all this down or we're going to kick you out of the school.
0: Wow. So they found out it was you. Yeah. Through your girlfriend on accident. Sort of.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like like from her to a friend to a you know, it suddenly got around. And then I was probably not too bright about how I did this, but I just felt so confident. I didn't really think twice. I told the dean I'm not going to take my stuff down. I'll stop posting and I will even tell people what my intentions were and i will apologize for offending them <laughs> but i'm not sorry otherwise <laughs> and uh and i did and then i just didn't touch it anymore and um that leads us right up to the point where my story got really convoluted and weird
0: okay so at this point are you how old are you now
1: it was right around the time i turned 18
0: you decided to go on a mission
1: yeah, I, I had committed to going on a mission. Uh, at that point, I already knew I was going to go. I would say I was not terribly excited about the prospect of it, but it was just what you do. Everybody does it. And so I was going to do it.
0: So you you stopped posting. They didn't kick you out of school. Mm-hmm. But you're towing the line now because you're getting ready to go on a mission. Talk to me about the time that this stops to your mission.
1: Yeah. Um, so at this point, I'm only a few months in at BYU. I, like I I started school there early and I left high school a year early. So for a lot of people, they go to university and then they plan to head on on their mission in a semester or two. But I had more than a year left before I was going to leave at that point. And so I stopped the posting, but I knew I was going to be in school for a while. And I didn't stop thinking about these things. So I knew I was going to go on a mission at some point and I knew I was going to be on campus for a while longer and I was going to get a job. I'd actually hope to get to the point where I maybe could graduate right after I got home from my mission. You know, maybe I could finish up, you know, a large chunk of the program before I left. A very type A sort of ambitious uh, mindset. And, um, you know, that was all going along pretty well. But thinking about these things more deeply, you know, one night – as I was thinking about these things and feeling kind of bothered. and I'm sure there were contributors to what made this happen, but, you know, it's a long time ago. And it's, you know, it's for me talking about it this way, I want to acknowledge out loud. It's, you know, I've read about these things. I've tried to understand them and study them, but it's armchair diagnosis from more than 20 years ago. Uh, And I I just want to acknowledge that out loud. So
0: Uh, Aaron's very concerned about being responsible with this information. And so,
1: yes, thank you. Um, so I I know you asked a question about my mission, but it's probably best to start the road into my mission from here, which is one night shortly after I'd stopped doing all that posting, but was still definitely doing all this thinking and writing, I was kneeling down to say my prayers and I had developed a certain degree of intensity in praying, but I think that's normal for a lot of people to you know, to take that matter pretty seriously, like you really are talking to God.
0: No, no. what does that mean? Because when I hear it, I've talked to all kinds of people, so intensity could mean like you're, you know, you've developed a whole ritual around it and you're convulsing or you're just all focusing right. really hard.
1: Yeah. No, I just, there was no major ritual. It was just in my room, you know, at my bed. I think it was dark when it happened. Like, I think I turned the lights off in the room, but just just like anybody kneels to say their prayers before they go to bed at night. But Like, I was really taking seriously the idea, I'm talking to God, and God is listening, and this is a conversation, and I should expect to get responses to some of these things, you know, uh, that's how this works. I need, you know, if I'm taking this seriously, and there's really a God there, and he really answers prayers, then I, like, I shouldn't be taking this lightly. Uh, There was no, there was no other ritual to it, there was no... Uh, None of those other elements. I would say to any outsider and even to me at the time, it just it was taking the typical form of Mormon prayer just extra serious in its practice.
0: And at its word.
1: Yeah, at its word. So as I started into this particular prayer, I, I don't remember what I was asking God and what I was talking to God about. What I do remember is that at the end of this prayer, God spoke back to me. And it was audible, like a noise in the room, a voice in the room. It wasn't just in my head. It wasn't a thought. It had volume. It had, you know, a little bit of echo. And I just felt struck. Wow. uh, What was that? Um, Is that what people are talking about when they say God can speak to you? you know it was nothing all that sort of divine or amazing it you know it wasn't it wasn't some major revelatory experience it was just like having a conversation with somebody right that never says anything back to you and then suddenly they open their mouth and say something
0: was it a familiar voice was it a voice that you'd never heard before can you remember
1: yeah uh it was not a familiar voice it was not a particularly animated voice um it was just pretty monotone pretty calm in some sense and short and direct you know I, if, if i were if i were going to kind of contemplate like what was the length of the sentence you know five words you know it wasn't yeah it was, yeah. it was
0: wow but it was an it was a sentence yes okay do you want to can you remember what it said
1: you know i don't exactly remember what it said except that it was an acknowledgement
0: like i am here i am listening i'm here like a, yeah, yeah feeling of I'm comfort. Here.
1: Yeah, these questions matter.
0: How did you feel when you heard the voice?
1: I felt uh, some sense of astonishment, some sense of comfort, some sense of wonder. And, you know, shortly after that, moments, minutes, anxiety. Anxiety like, was that real? I don't know what to make of this. Whoa you know, look at what just happened. I was awake a lot that night and the next day thinking about this a lot and just wondering, like, was that real? What just happened? Was that real? And it felt real. It felt good. But and what does this mean? And what if it's not real? And, you know, I just immediately was a little distracted that whole next day trying to analyze what's going on here. And I said my prayers the next day, and God spoke more. And
0: same voice.
1: Same voice. I want to note here I don't think, I don't analyze this whole situation from my present tense, from my present stance as I'm describing it right now. I'm trying to describe it. In the form closer to the form, I would have described it or talked about it back then. So I don't <laughs> want to call out right right now. I don't think it was God.
0: No, Kay. I think I think people understand that. Um, but yeah. at the time you did, how else? And the, and this is what we've talked about with Aaron is what other voice could it be? <laughs> I mean, if you're a Mormon right. kid right. and you're in prayer, that's the. Vo- it's either God or Satan.
1: Or maybe I'm losing my mind.
0: Yeah, I mean if you're self-reflective. <laughs> yeah. I I I don't know. So you grapple with that. You are self-reflective. You're worried about going crazy. So what happens next?
1: Yeah. So, you know, in many ways I just continue on the rest of my semester. I have my hobbies. I, you know, I'm doing things for fun. Uh the the girl that I talked about, my girlfriend, things got more serious with us. We we eventually got married and still are today but i didn't talk about it with a lot of people i just kept it to myself but you know just over weeks and weeks you know this is this is sometime in the fall and by january i was starting to talk to her about it but nobody else and what was going on between when it started in that first week in january besides like the holiday break and finals and everything a lot of it was normal life a lot of it was Getting quite interested in a girl and thinking about my schooling and all the rest of that mixed up a lot with reflecting about what is going on here. This is becoming more and more prevalent. And, you know, within weeks, a month or so, walking around campus, I could just be saying a prayer in my head and God would be talking back to me. And so the prevalence of this just continued to pick up and become more conversational and and not just...
0: Uh, Was it invasive? Was it like at inconvenient times? Or was it something that like when you were in the mode of prayer, then God would answer at the
1: time? Yeah, it went from only happening during my prayers, or right after I finished my prayers, to, you know, many Mormons kind of think about having a prayer in their heart or their heads. You don't just have to go into your closet. You don't have to be at your bedside. You know, you can you can think a prayer. And so I would just think to myself like I'm talking to God and I would think words to God and God would just talk back to me. Uh, And so I could be walking across campus and God would talk to me. I could be walking across campus noticing something and not talking to God and God would have something to say about it or a person or an event or something like that.
0: And, and is God walking around be where you being like her skirt's too short <laughs> or is he saying like no. deep deep things about the universe or is it just about your thoughts and
1: Yeah, it's a lot of it's in response to my thoughts. Some of it are some of them are some of these things are not necessarily responses to my thoughts but they are provocations like you need to think about this, Aaron. You need to notice that. Um Some of it was people I would see. God would tell me things about them.
0: Give me an example.
1: Uh, Walking across campus, somebody has a certain kind of expression on their face. God would tell me this is what's going on in their life. And it was...
0: interesting,
1: Detailed, you know.
0: Wow. Okay. So you you thought you could discern almost.
1: I I wasn't me discerning. The words I would have used are God's just telling me what's going on here. And...
0: Did you understand why? Were you like, why me, God? Why?
1: That's a great question. So, you know, earlier we talked about my first reaction to this, that it was a very fragmented kind of way of thinking and responding to it for me. Much of the time I questioned it, I worried about it, I felt anxious, I thought I might be suffering from an intensifying mental illness. And much of the time I felt like, no, this is divine and I need to accept it. And in fact, thinking of it as a mental illness is like a matter of faithlessness. God would tell me that sometimes. You need to stop. Aaron, you need to stop thinking this is some figment of your imagination. I'm real. I'm here. You know, I'm telling you these things.
0: So you just needed to have more faith.
1: Yeah. Stop being afraid of it.
0: Okay. So how do you break this to your girlfriend? (laughs)
1: <laughs> so, so I mean, I, I didn't at first, right? I, I, I didn't. I just kept this to myself. But the months go by. I leave for my holiday break. I go home to my family. We have, you know, fun family holidays together. We spend time around each other. God's you know. still
0: chatting with you.
1: Yeah, yeah, the whole time. <laughs> and this is the first time I've been with my family when this is going on. And now okay. God's telling me stuff about them and the family dynamics. And,
0: Interesting. You know,
1: I'm having this divine experience sitting around him. And, and like... As I said it like it's really hard to say it was one thing or the other it was this total mixture of yeah this is a divine experience and this is cool and this is amazing and you know this this has deep meaning and I'm terrified and what if I'm not worthy about this and where is this going and then what if I really have lost my mind where is this going to end you know what like what what am I going to wake up one day and just you know be in an entirely different place a different person with wreckage
0: oh yeah you must have felt so much dissonance and tension and uncertainty which like activates your nervous system so i'm sure it was yeah and, and nerve-wracking and
1: mormonism has this theme you know that these things are sacred you know like we can read about them in the scriptures we can read about them in people's journals but we are generally told in the time frame that you know we have grown up and come up that you keep these things to yourself when you match up what God is telling you versus the institution, you always defer to your leaders in the institution. And sometimes God was telling me things that I thought were against the grain of common cultural practices in the institution. You know, that things my priesthood leaders were doing or that were going on around me around campus or my parents, that they they weren't right. You know, they were they weren't terribly wrong, but you know, they were, you know, they're like Jesus and the Pharisees. You know, they're like Jesus criticizing people who, you know, to play on that thing we talked about earlier, who were conforming. They weren't really thinking about it. And they were using this pressure to conform to manipulate each other and things like that. And I didn't speak out about it. So to your question about, you know, what how do you break this to somebody? Well, my girlfriend is the first person I broke it to. And I... You know, we walked around a lot together on campus and other places. And when you're alone in the wintertime and it's freezing cold and windy, but you're in love and so you just want to spend all this time together, you know, you can find yourself, you know, in random places, nobody around in the middle of the night and, you know, like and you can just the conversation just wanders into all kinds of topics. And so at some point I just felt confident enough to tell her, you know, Catherine I. I'm having these experiences and I, I, I went over them lightly. I glossed over them, but I like, I'm starting to have these intense experiences. I think God's talking to me. He's telling me things about me. He's telling me things about you. You know, it's, it's part of our broader experience and something's going on here. And I like, I don't know what it is, but I just need to talk to somebody about it. You know, I was a little worried the way I presented it, that she might think I was nuts and back away. But she didn't.
0: How did she respond?
1: She was thoughtful and supportive and somewhat curious.
0: Did she believe you? Did she believe that God was talking to you?
1: I think in that very first moment, my memory of it was, she was not making a strong judgment call, but she thought, I should be willing to accept it, that it could be real, that it was a special experience. She thought it could be real.
0: I've been thinking about the first time you told me this, and I've thought about this in other contexts, too. Like, you know, p- women will ask, if I am Emma Smith, would I believe Joseph Smith? Would I believe my boyfriend on campus, right, if he told me this? And I actually think I'm of the disposition and faith of a similar mindset that you had, I would have. I would have been kind of almost proud that I was, you know, was such a spiritual man.
1: Yeah. And, you know, what's weird about that is I can conceive of that and it seems like it could be a natural phenomena in our culture. But, you know, I guess the more I think about it, I can make sense of it. I was about to say, but there are all these ways in which I didn't fit the mold. There are all these ways in which I was a little bit of a rebel in certain ways or a little bit of a critic or, you know... I think a lot of Mormons have this idea in their head that if this is really – if that's, if somebody's really having that experience, man, they must be just be doing everything right. You know, living to perfection, to worthiness, to, to qualify for this. And I certainly wasn't, right? I wouldn't say I was way off in the wrong direction relative to what Mormonism would have wanted me to be. But by those standards, I was really nothing special. You know, I I wasn't extra scrupulous. And so at the time, I thought, wow, this is so nice to be able to talk to her about this. And it's so nice that I got acceptance from this. I was so worried that I was going to get rejected. The worry wasn't just rejection like the relationship. The worry was, well, what will it mean to me if somebody who I think is intelligent and savvy and all the rest of that – you know, their reaction is to condemn this and tell me something's wrong. What am I supposed to do with that?
0: Were you kind of testing the waters too, in a way, do you think, to see how people would respond?
1: Yeah, I i mean, that's not the first impulse that was on my mind. The first impulse was just I wanted to talk to somebody about it. You know, i I needed to talk to somebody about this just just carrying it around.
0: It's like your Catholic friend. If your wife would be like, you know what, my church can fix you. <laughs> we can, we right, can help right. You. I
1: suppose if that friend of mine had been back there right then and there, he just slapped me in the face and saved me a lot, a lot of pain and suffering down the road. <laughs> 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 Let me return the favor, buddy. Oh, that's
0: not how Mormon karma works, my friend. <laughs> okay well we're getting on um so what i want to do is i want to stop here and uh we're gonna take a break and then we're gonna have part two where i really want to dig into your experience you talked about not fitting the mold of a prophet and i want to dig into that a little bit so yeah uh let's let's pause and if you're listening uh tune in for part two after this at your polygamy The song you just heard is called My Disguise by Mikkel Douse. Her album is available for purchase on iTunes or Apple Music. Thanks for listening.